sometimes it's really surprising to find out what's important to a person. You know, like last week, we were talking about how you could find out what's really important to a person by looking in their checkbook and looking in their calendar and looking in their garage. N- not that you'd do that to somebody else. That's creepy. <laughs> you could look in your own checkbook and gra- you could see what you've spent your time on and your money on and what you've accumulated. It's a pretty good indicator what's important to you. Like here's another way you can tell. Maybe you've done this mental exercise before. Um, here's something that will show you what you value. And hopefully this is just hypothetical, but if you came home and found your house on fire, what would you run in to rescue? That's a pretty good indicator of what's important to you. As I said, I hope this is just hypothetical. I hope this never happened to you before. I hope and pray it never does happen to you. But for a man in Olathe, Kansas, last January, this actually did happen. He woke up in the middle of the night. Smoke alarms were going off, and he found out his house was on fire. He's like, oh, man, he woke up, and he ran, and he pounded on his roommate's door, woke him up, and they got out of the house safely. And it was outside as the fire trucks are coming and everything. This is, remember, in January. This is the polar vortex. The house is fully engulfed in flames. There's flames pouring out of the picture window. The firefighters are having a hard time getting water on it because everything's frozen. And he remembered suddenly, oh, my gosh, something's still in the house. What do you think he ran back in the house to get? His Xbox video game console. Yeah, flames and everything, and he runs back in to get the Xbox. I've got good news. He made out safely, as did the Xbox. (laughs) Police said he just suffered some smoke inhalation. I think he may have suffered from something more (laughs) than just smoke inhalation, but that's, that's what he valued. So, okay, again, if you came home and your house is on fire, what would you run in to rescue? Your family? Yeah. Your pets? Probably. Wedding album? What would you, that, that is a good tip-off to what's most important to you, what's most valuable to you. Well, as we uh, approach the text that we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be in Luke 19 in the Bible. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can grab your worship folder and take notes too. What we're going to find here is we're going to find what was important to Jesus. He didn't run into a burning house, but he literally did walk into a situation that revealed who was most important to him. It shocked everyone. Let's go ahead and read this together. We're in Luke chapter 19. If you uh, have a Bible app on your phone, you can pull it up there. Feel free to use table of contents. That's fair. And if nothing else, it'll be up here on the screen. So we're going to go through Luke 19, starting in verse 1. It says that Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead of the crowd, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, when Jesus reached the spot, though, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and he welcomed Jesus gladly. Now, all the people saw this, and they began to mutter. They grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus looked up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, yeah, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Let's go back and go through that. Go ahead and keep your Bible open. It says in the very first verse that Jesus is going through Jericho. He entered Jericho and he was passing through. Context matters when you're trying to understand the Bible. There's there's a bigger picture here. Why is Jesus going through Jericho? Why is he not staying? Where is he going? 
Well, if we draw back, we see the bigger picture of what's been going on here. If you go back into Luke 18, we find that there's this moment here, and we find about this in verse 31, where as uh, Jesus was going along with his disciples, he gathered his 12 closest followers around him. And in verse 31, he said to his closest followers, guys, I want you to know something. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and when we get to Jerusalem, the religious leaders are going to have me arrested. Now, they're going to turn me over to the Gentiles, where I will be basically tortured and unjustly tried and executed. But then Jesus told him, verse 34, but don't worry about it, because I will come back to life three days later. This is what Jesus told him. This is in Luke 18, 31 through 34. Now, the, the 12 disciples he told us, like, they had no idea what he was talking about. They didn't have a clue. What, he's going to die? He's going to be arrested? No, what is he talking about? It all made sense in retrospect, but at the time they didn't get it. But that's the context here. Jesus is going through Jericho because he's going to Jerusalem. His time is short. He's like a week out from that Friday where he's going to be executed. This is the context. So you go back to, to uh, Luke 19.1. Jesus is entering Jericho and he's passing through. Now, to get to Jerusalem from anywhere in the north or the east, you had to go through Jericho. It was a suburb of Jerusalem. And we've got a map here. Eventually, we'll have, hopefully have a map here. It was just a beautiful city, a very uh, significant as well. It was about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem, so it's out in the suburbs. Uh, they called it the City of Palms, which immediately makes me think of Los Angeles, all those boulevards with the palm trees running around. I think of that, when I think of Jericho, I think of this beautiful city with the palm trees running through it. Go ahead and keep my Los Angeles analogy going. If Jerusalem, the capital city, is like LAX, it's like urban, it's sprawling, it's crowded. You go out to Jericho, 15 miles away, it's like the suburbs of Orange County, California. It's beautiful. It's like John Wayne Airport. If you ever have a chance to fly in there, do so. It's a beautiful airport, and it's not as crowded. So Jer Jericho is like this nice, beautiful city. There's a lot of money there in Jericho. For one thing, King Herod spent millions of dollars upgrading Jericho. He rebuilt the city, put in some beautiful white marble government buildings. Uh, he put a palace there. There were pools of water. So Jericho's just beautiful. It's got a lot of money put in there, government money, good roads. Beyond that, Jericho was a, like an international trade crossroad. Several international trade routes came through that city. So you've got merchants and money and different accents and lots of merchandise and food. It was just a really cool place in that way, very international feel. And then the third thing about Jericho that made it interesting was that anybody who lived in the north or the east part of the world who wanted to come to Jerusalem to celebrate any of the feasts, they were coming in as pilgrims, like which was actually happening now. Everybody was going to Jerusalem as Jesus was to go celebrate Passover. They, the, the last stop you would make was Jericho. So there's this thriving hospitality industry. There were lots of people in town from all over the other parts of the world, and this is their last stop before they made the next day trip to Jerusalem. So put all those things together, and you got something that's not so nice. you got all this money and all these people. You get taxes. When you're in Jericho, you got to pay the man. And we learn from this text that there was a guy living in Jericho named Zacchaeus, and it says that he was a, a tax collector by occupation. All these people who are tradesmen coming through, they got to pay taxes on that stuff. All the people who are coming in as pilgrims, they've got to pay their taxes. And it says that not only was Zacchaeus a, a tax collector, what did it say about him? He's like the chief tax collector. He's very high up on the org chart. And it also points out another detail about him. He was incredibly wealthy, living in this rich city. Now, you, you put all those things together, he's a chief tax collector, he's very wealthy, 
And what you come up with is, you don't get to be those things by being a nice guy. Zacchaeus was probably not a very nice guy. Now, how many of you, well, you don't have to raise your hand to this, but how many of you grew up in church or you at least went to a VBS when you were a kid and you sang a little song about Zacchaeus? Did anybody do? Yeah? Yeah, well, uh, I want you to channel your inner junior church person for a second here because there is a song, and I've got Miss Carol coming down because Miss Carol has and continues to lead singing in our children's ministry, and she's great, and I'm not a singer. So she's going to come down and help us sing a, a song about Zacchaeus that some of you may know, some of you may not. I want you all to stand up, though. I want you to channel your inner third grader. There are motions, and you have to do the motions. So as Miss Carol leads us singing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You have to sing it. You have to do the motions. He wasn't this wee, okay? He was this wee, all right? Ready? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Hey, let's give Miss Carol a hand. Thank you. That was great. All right, you all can sit, except for Larry. Would you just sing it by yourself, Larry, for us? <laughs> Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We sing this song, and it makes him sound kind of like he's like uh, this maybe a little bit naughty kind of guy, but not really. He's, he's an okay kind of guy. He's maybe like a Danny DeVito. Maybe he's like Joe Pesci. He's bad, but he's bad like in Home Alone. You know, he's, he's a bad guy, but there's happy music in the background, right? So we think of Zacchaeus because we sang that little song when we were kids. I think Zacchaeus was probably like Joe Pesci, but not in Home Alone, more like Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Am I funny? Do I amuse you? How do I amuse you? If you haven't seen Goodfellas, I know that doesn't make sense to you, but Zacchaeus was a wicked little man, not a wee little man. He may have been a short guy, but he, you know, he was just not a good guy. He was the kind of guy who would say, you got to break some cracks and eggs to make an omelet. Just not a good guy before he met Jesus. Think about how you feel about the IRS. Multiply that by a thousand, and that's how the Jewish people felt about tax collectors in Jesus' day. It, they were not on anybody's Christmas card list, believe me. They were, the system was oppressive. It was corrupt. People paid taxes more than they ever should have. The Romans occupied this country at this time. Israel was part of the Roman Empire. And the Romans had an interesting system to collect taxes. They called it tax farming. They would appraise and assess your district, figure out how much wealth could be extracted from it, and then they assigned a value to your district. We think we can get this much taxes out. They would then outsource the collection of taxes to tax collectors. You basically bid on the opportunity to collect taxes for the district, and you say, well, why would you do that? Well, here's why. The Roman government says your district owes this much. When you win the contract to collect taxes, you're basically saying, I will pay the Roman government this much money every year or whatever it was. Now, the Romans didn't care how much you actually gathered as long as you paid them what they wanted. So if the Roman government says your district should show like $12 million in tax revenue, if Zacchaeus collects $15 million, what does he get to do with the other $3 million? Right in his pocket. Very corrupt system. The Romans really didn't care how much or what you collected or how you collected the tax as long as they got their cut at the end of the year. 
And so there were some real creative ideas about how to collect taxes. There's a tax on everything. Like there's a fish tax and a bridge tax and a pole tax and a you know, grain tax and a wine tax and an income tax. And if, the, if they had tea, there was a tea tax. It was just everything you could think of. And Zacchaeus is like the, the chief tax collector, which means that he's got all kinds of employees working for him through this district collecting taxes. He's a very wealthy man because he's probably cheated a lot. So you got this situation, and people hated people like Zacchaeus. You got big oil, big law, big tax. <laughs> Just throw them all. They, they counted tax collectors down at the lowest of society along with the prostitutes and the other sinners. Nobody liked Zacchaeus. So maybe his family. So into this situation, you've got Zacchaeus, this incredibly corrupt, possibly man. But he's well-connected, and he gets word that this, this interesting man named Jesus is coming through his town. And so he, he gets wind of Jesus coming. His curiosity has peaked. By this time, in context again, Jesus has been preaching and teaching and doing miracles for three and a half years. A lot of buzz about Jesus. Everybody's like wanting to see when Jesus comes through their town. It'd be like the Olympic torch coming through our town. Wouldn't you go see it? Jesus is coming. I at least want to go see him. And so I think that's where Zacchaeus is out. Zacchaeus says, I, I, this guy's coming. I'm going to go see what this, this is about. Maybe nothing more than that. So the thing was, wherever Jesus went, especially at this point in his ministry, people came out by the thousands, if not the tens of thousands, to see him. It wasn't just like, oh, there's like 12 people and the disciples. No, there's just huge crowds. Think about going to the Cardinals game, and you're getting to the gate, and you're trying to press in, and that's probably more like what it was like when Jesus came into town. So Zacchaeus is like, I want to see Jesus. Well, so do 10,000 other people, buddy. Take a number. <laughs> Just wait your turn. Sometimes I imagine, in my mind, I, like, I daydream, what would it be like to time travel? You ever do that? Like, I would go back to the days of Jesus. And in my, in my daydream, I imagine, like, walking up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus. Oh, hey, Brian. Oh, you know my name? Yeah, you're about 2,000 years early, though, aren't you? So in real life, though, starts to, even in my daydreams, like, reality sets in. I would probably have about as much chance of walking up and shaking Jesus' hand as I would of walking up to President Obama today to shake his hand and talk to him. There was just like too many people around him. Most people barely got a glimpse of Jesus, much less to be able to talk to him. I did the math on this. Let's just say that Jesus got up that morning and he said, guys, I want to talk to everybody who's here to talk to me. Okay, So let's say we're going to take eight hours, and I'm not going to go to the bathroom. I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to talk to people. Let's say, just conservatively, there's only 5,000 people there. How much time would each person have with Jesus before it's the next person's turn? I did the math. It's like six seconds. Hi, Jesus. Brian, what's bothering you? What, well, I've got some questions. And then about that time, James or John is moving me along, and the next person's turn is up. Like, right? But how do you talk to Jesus when there's so many people? Reality is Zacchaeus is not going to be talking to him. If you were lucky, you may have heard a sermon that Jesus preached. If you're one of the very few, you may have been before him and got something healed. But most people didn't get to just go talk to him whenever they wanted to. He's, he only had two hands. He was just a human being. So, and I don't think Zacchaeus wanted anything other than to just, when he climbed that tree, he's like, I'm going to have a story to tell my wife and kids tonight. I, I'll, I'll be up there and I'll be able to see over the crowd of people. I'll see Jesus go by and the disciples and it'll be cool. I'll see what all the hubbub's about. But then something remarkable happened. Jesus got literally under the tree Zacchaeus was in and he stopped and he looked up and don't let the song trivialize it. This really actually happened. Jesus called him by his name and said, Zacchaeus, Zac, get down here. I need you. 
I, I need to go to your house today. I need a place to stay and a place to eat, and I want to eat at your house. And Zacchaeus got down. And, and I look at this, and I, I have a feeling that we have no idea what a big deal this little conversation was. There are some things in my life that I think of that I, I will never forget, and I'm sure you've got things like that too. I remember the first time Kirsten, my wife, said hi to me. I, we were walking down a hallway at college, passing each other, and, and I, I, I finally I said hi, and she smiled and said, hi, Brian, and I'm like, I didn't even know she knew my name. <laughs> and we both kept walking, and, and she probably didn't even remember it, but I, man, I like stopped breathing for like 30 seconds, you know. And, and I like, don't, don't turn around, don't look, don't look, don't look. I looked, she was looking. That's good. I think I floated down the hallway. That's, I'll never forget holding my daughter Alyssa for the first time after she was born or cutting Abby's umbilical cord. You, you've got things like that, right? You will never forget certain things. I, I have a feeling for Zacchaeus. He never forgot when Jesus stopped and looked up in a tree and, and knew his name. How did he do that? And invited himself over to dinner. See, we don't realize what an incredible honor and a gracious condescension this was for Jesus to go to his house to eat a meal. You guys ever heard of Anthony Bourdain? He's on TV, he's a chef, you know. He's got that show on uh, Travel Channel, or he did, called No Reservations. He's on CNN now with uh, Parts Unknown. He's like this chef who basically gets to go all over the world with a film crew following him, and he just eats food. Who wants that job, (laughs) right? But then I've seen some of the things he eats, and I think, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. Well, there's this one episode. I think it was on No Reservations. He was in uh, Dubai, which is part of the United Arab Emirates in the Middle East. And he was eating around a low table. We got a picture here. And, and he's, like, sharing this meal with these people. What you do is there's, like, this dish in the center, and you would get a ball of, of rice, and you would scoop it with some lamb and maybe scoop it through the yogurt. So eating in that situation is very communal. You're, like, eating together. You're right there out of one dish. It's so unlike how we do in America. Like, I want my own plate, my own knife, fork, and spoon, and my own servings. But this is much closer here to what it would have been like in Jesus' day to share a meal. You were around a low table. You were very much with the other people. You would tear a piece of bread off and scoop it through the common bowl in the center. And so who you chose to eat with said a lot. Because it communicated more than just eating a meal. It was friendship. It was acceptance. And who you chose not to eat with said a lot. I'm not going to eat with you. It's more than just I don't want to eat with you. I don't accept you. And Jesus chose this sinful, wicked tax collector named Zacchaeus to eat a meal with. A lot of people that day were upset about that. Do you know how many people in that crowd wanted Jesus to wave to them, to say hi to them, to just nod at them, to acknowledge? How many people in that town that day would have paid good money to just have Jesus sign an autograph or shake his hand or come to my house? Of all the people Jesus could have eaten with, why did he choose this guy? And everybody's thinking that. Like, he chose a sinner. Of all the the people who least deserve his attention and his time, much less to share hospitality, why did he pick this guy? What did the crowd say about that? He's gone to be the guest of a, a sinner. They, they muttered. They grumbled. <laughs> this is a great word. It's only used two times in the Bible. They muttered. Jesus has heard this before. This is the other time the word muttered is used. Luke chapter 15. It says, Now the tax collectors, the sinners, were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. He shouldn't be doing this. This is not right. How dare he? 
There's another situation here. Tell you what, folks, let's just stop and pray right now, would you? Father, we want to thank you that you are even here now, and uh, I just pray that, that you would calm any fears that we have, that you will just right now help us to be aware of what you're doing and to know that you've got everything under your control. We, we trust you, and we thank you for everything you do in our lives, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we, those guys have got that. We're good. All right, so Jesus is eating with people he shouldn't be eating. There's another encounter where Jesus does the same thing. This is in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus was going on from a certain place. He saw a man named Matthew who was sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told Matthew, and Matthew got up and he followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And the implication is, he shouldn't be doing that. This is a good place to ask an important question. Why did Jesus choose to eat with sinners? He's clearly not a sinner himself. Why would he do this? He knows and he calls a sinner by his name. He says he needs him. What's going on with that? This is shocking. God wants to spend time with bad people? Okay, everything's okay, folks. <laughs> pay attention on here again. We're all right. They're going outside, but everything's all right out there. So, so I do have to ask you this. I want you to think about this. Why did Jesus choose to spend time with Zacchaeus when he could have spent time with other people? Jesus does not make us guess. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to look for and to save people who are lost. And Jesus is pretty explicit here. Zacchaeus may not be a very nice person. Zacchaeus may be a wicked person. But that's okay. Because Zacchaeus is the kind of people that I came here for. In fact, Jesus would point this out. He would have, if you could have talked to him, he might have said something like this. You know, an angel appeared to my adoptive dad before I was ever born. And he told my adoptive father, Joseph, that my name should be Jesus because I will save my people from their sins. It's my job description. It's what I'm good at. My job is to find people who are far from God and bring them closer to God. That's what I do. That's my job. Why would I want to spend time with people who don't think they need me? When there's a person who will climb a tree to see who I am, Zacchaeus is exactly the kind of person I came to see. When the Pharisees criticized Jesus because he was spending time with Matthew and Matthew's tax collector friends, again, Jesus told them this. This is Matthew chapter 9. Jesus heard the criticism and he answered, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Go learn what the scriptures mean when they say, instead of offering sacrifices to me, I want you to be merciful to other people. Jesus said, I didn't come to invite good people to be my followers. I came to invite sinners. Do you know why Jesus chose to spend time with Zacchaeus when most people wouldn't give him the time of day? When most people looked at Zacchaeus, they saw a sinner. When Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, he saw a someone. 
And we, we tend to look at people by their sins, and you are this and you're that. We label people. Jesus doesn't do that. He just sees a person that he loves. And that's, this is exactly the reason I came. And Jesus changed the order up on everyone. He did. You know, the crowd was like, okay, Zacchaeus, you change your ways, you change your life, and then we'll accept you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. How about this? How about my way? First I accept you, and then we'll change you. Because honestly, your way is not really working. That whole judge people into changing their ways doesn't do anything good for them. So how about this? How about we bring this into our world? How about we take it out of the first century and take it into the 21st century here? Connection. If we claim to be followers of Jesus... If we claim to, to be his, that's what we say when we say, I'm a Christian, I carry the name of Christ, shouldn't we take a page from Jesus' book and imitate the way he treated people? Shouldn't we say, if this is the way Jesus treated people who were far from God, shouldn't we be like that? That is a someone that Jesus would run into a burning house to rescue. That is a someone that Jesus died for that is a someone that Jesus would invite to follow him. To be honest here, weren't all of us sinners before Jesus called us to follow him? Didn't he know our name and call us by name and say, I need you, and invite us to be part of his family? Who are we to say, like, I'm, I'm better than you, and so, you know, get your act together, then you can come follow Jesus. It doesn't work that way. i got a question for you to consider. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you are not, this is okay. You don't have to think about this. But if you have already said, I'm across the line of faith, I'm a Christian, ask yourself this, who do you sound more like? Do you sound more like Jesus or do you sound more like the crowd that criticized Jesus for who he chose to hang around with? I can't help but think of all the harm that's been done by people who carry the name of Christ but have none of the compassion of Christ. Uh, this happened back in 1909. This is in Vancouver, British Columbia. They were so excited because in 1909, they got the first mechanized ambulance in, in their town in Canada. So they were so excited. They saved up so much money to buy this thing. They got the best one they could. I've got a picture here, I think, of that ambulance. This was the Model 740. It came all the way from New York. It cost them $4,000, which is a lot of money. It's like hundreds of thousands of dollars in our currency today. And they spared no expense to get this thing. They were so excited because they could imagine all the lives that would be saved because they were able to get to a sick person or a, an accident quicker and get them to the hospital quicker. So they're so excited. The day that the ambulance got in town, the crew that was going to man it took it out for a test drive. They couldn't even wait. They're just so excited. Let's try this thing out. On the drive, they hit and killed a pedestrian. <laughs> I know it's not funny, right? But how, what are you doing? You know, like, like they're taking out a test drive, and their first passenger was somebody they created. A, an American tourist who was in Vancouver downtown shopping stepped out in front of them. They ran him over. One of the wealthy women who raised the money for this ambulance put it so well. She said, it killed them outright. The first passenger for the ambulance went straight to the morgue. That's ironic. Folks, our reason to be here together as a church is... We, here's how we say it at Connection. We're here to connect people to God and to each other through Jesus. That's our job. That's our mission. That's what, how, how can we do that if we are known more for what we're against and who we're against and, instead of who we're for? And It's not our job to judge people. 
to scold people, to cajole people into better behavior. It's not, we're, we're here to connect people. We're here to take people and put them in the same room with Jesus. And Jesus is really good at what he does. He doesn't need our help on that. He doesn't need us to nag people into better behavior. They need to be saved. They need to be loved and accepted. And he's so good at that. If we put Jesus and other people together, lives will be changed. Now, understand, we'll teach the truth about Jesus. And when you accept Jesus, we'll teach you what it means to honor God with your life. And that's important. But the first thing is just to put together people and Jesus. Look what happened to Zacchaeus. This wicked tax man spends hours with Jesus, and he is a changed man. Look at what he did. He said, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, which the implication is <laughs> you did, you know you did, I'll pay him back four times what I cheated them out of. If you go back to the Old Testament of the Bible, the Old Testament law said that's what you're supposed to do, pay somebody back four times what you cheated them out of. But he goes a step further, and he says, look, and I'm just, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. That's all him. There's no law about that. He just decided that all on his own. And Jesus said, today, salvation's come to this house. It wasn't like Zacchaeus peeled off enough Benjamins and now he's like saved because he paid his way in. No, no, it had nothing to do with the money. That was an evidence that he was saved. It was an evidence that would the old Zacchaeus have ever done that? No. Jesus saved him and when his heart changed, his attitude and his actions started changing. He was a changed man. And that's what happens when you put people together with Jesus. And this is the chance right now for you to not just hear this sermon. I want you to actually walk out of here being a sermon. You ready? Two things. Do you know anybody who needs to be put in the same room with Jesus, who needs to meet Jesus? Invite them to church. Invite them. You know how many people would come to church with you if you just invited them? Maybe not the first time. You may need to keep inviting them. Don't be obnoxious about it, but, you know, be gracious and, and be kind and wait for the right opportunity. Be tactful about how you invite people. But there are people in your circle who will come when you invite them, and you're putting them in the same room with Jesus. You know, one day a Christian kid was talking to a friend of his who was not a Christian, and they were comparing their beliefs about life. And he, a Christian kid was saying, like, here's, here's what it takes to, to go to heaven. And the other kid's like, so let me just stop you. You're telling me that all you have to do to get to heaven is to believe in Jesus. And Christian kid's like, yeah. So if, if my mom wants to go to heaven, all she has to do is believe in Jesus. And the Christian kid's like, yeah, and if you don't want her to be in heaven, just don't tell her. Could that be our problem? I just wonder, will, will hell truly be full of people who rejected Jesus and rebelled against God, or will hell just be full of people that we just didn't want to be in heaven with us? Invite people. This is your chance to live out this sermon. Put people in connection with Jesus. And there's another thing I want to ask you. As I talk about this, do you kind of just like blank out about Jesus because you feel like the person you connect with in this event is more Zacchaeus. You're like, like, I can't even believe I'm in church service today. At least I'm in a theater, because otherwise, if it was a church building, the ceiling would fall down on me. And, and you just like, I, I am one of those people. Jesus doesn't wait for you to get your act together to invite you to follow him. I love how Andy Stanley says it. If you're a sinner, you're the perfect person to follow Jesus, because he doesn't invite anyone else other than sinners to follow him. If you feel like that's who you are, like, this is a great day to say yes to Jesus. And and watch him make the changes in your life that you can't make yourself. This is your way of living out the sermon. Trust your life to Jesus and see what he does with it. The Bible says this in John 1.12, All who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
You notice there's nothing in there about doing things the right way. It's simply putting your trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. What are you going to do with this message today? I invite you to stand up and let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us this uh, true account that just so illustrates your heart for us. Like how Jesus treated Zacchaeus is how you treat all of us. And you don't, you don't put your finger in our face and say how bad we are and then just walk away. Like you, you need us and you know our name and you call us and invite us to be in your family. I, I can't even begin to say thank you for that. And um, boy, I just feel like you trust us also to tell other people about you and invite them to come to you. And I, I feel like maybe, Father, sometimes we let you down because we don't do a good enough job of doing that. We, we enjoy this, but we don't ever let anybody else be a part of it. So I pray that if we are on the other side of salvation and salvation has come to our house and our heart, that we would be people who feel like this is important enough to tell other people about. And I pray that you would like even bring people to our mind right now so that we can today and through this week be thinking about who we need to invite. And, and Father, I, um, I do also have a heart for the people who are here today who just don't feel like they should be, don't feel like they're worthy to be here. And I pray that you would whisper truth into their ears and, and just help them know in their heart that you've loved them with an everlasting love. And I pray that no one would walk out of here today without knowing how much you care for them and responding to that. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.